All right, for uh, a quick intro, I've, I've kind of got a little more than I think I can cover today, so I'm going to try to make the intro brief. Um, we are talking about how Jesus talked to people and uh, the different scenarios he puts himself in or he finds himself and how we can apply how Jesus interacted with others, uh, how Jesus talked to people who were curious, how Jesus talked to people who were hungry and thirsty for what he wanted to say, how, people, how he talked to people who were in direct opposition to him. Uh, and and uh, last time, Carrie did a great job of talking about how Jesus talked to those who were sad or disheartened uh, when he talked about Mary and Martha and the death of Lazarus. But today, we're going to talk about a story in Mark chapter 9 about how Jesus approaches a father who has a son who has a demon. And the, and the father expresses some doubt. How, we, how Jesus approaches people who have doubts. Again, to kind of set kind of the principles that Carrie and I have tried to overlay time and time again. Uh, no matter what the case, no matter what the scenario, Jesus was always prepared to teach. Uh, I'm not meaning that Jesus always had all the answers ready. What I mean is Jesus was always ready and took time and scheduled time in his, in his life to be prepared to be interrupted to talk to people. Different approaches need different approaches and different environments and different situations require different words. Uh, all people are not the same. We know that. So there's no set of magic words when it comes to Christianity or anything that Jesus taught uh, that, that can be used every time. It takes a different approach every time. It, well, however we talk to people, it needs to be rooted in God's word. It doesn't mean we need to quote Scripture, every single word that comes out of our mouth, but the basis by which we see the world, the basis by which we approach people, needs to be in God's word and needs to be in compassion and love for them. You know, our, the, the important thing is them for to see our love and our interest for them in Christ, not to see what we think is right. Because we could be wrong. The goal is to not be agreeable. The goal is to what? Convert personal people to Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Okay? Now, let's get to the story. Uh, I'm going to do kind of like we've done before. Uh, talk a, briefly about the story itself, its content. Certainly welcome your, con your comments throughout. Uh, and then talk about um, how this man wrestled with doubts, how we see others who might wrestle with doubts in their own lives today, and then how Jesus approached them, and then conclude with kind of a view of, of doubt as a whole throughout the Bible. So, uh, let's, let's begin in Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read the story, starting in verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? One of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, and he stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered and said to them, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and began falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's thrown him into, both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the, father's, excuse me, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. 
When Jesus saw a crowd begin rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out from him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why, why could we not drive it out? But he answered them, this cannot come by anything but prayer. All right, I want to talk a few, uh, about a few things in the story. Uh, welcome your comments, like I said at the beginning. What are some uh, phrases or indications of, of belief and unbelief uh, in this story, whether the father or, or, or somebody else? Give me a few examples. One indication of belief is that they went there to begin with. Okay. They're present. They see Jesus, and there's a crowd. There's people running up to him. Uh, verse 19, there's a description of Jesus provided but to, to some of them, the unbelieving generation. Uh, the father. Does, does, does the father believe or does he not believe? This is a critical question to go to the rest of the class. Yes and yes. Yes. Yeah. Does the father believe and not believe? Uh, the answer is let, uh, yes, and we'll talk about that a little more, uh, a little more later. Um, for the father, again, you can see in you know, verse 22, you know, if you can do anything. So there's, there's, there's descriptions of, of belief and unbelief kind of throughout the story. Um, Peter and James and John are, and Jesus are coming back down from the Mount of Transfiguration, back, back down to reality, uh, and so to speak, and they, and they encounter three, three groups of people. You've got the crowd who have gathered, they know Jesus is around uh, because maybe his disciples are around or the previous chapter he knows he's in the area because he's, he's fed a multitude of people and his disciples have helped with that. Um, and they, uh, they rush up to meet Jesus. You've got the scribes who are arguing with the disciples uh, about something and then Jesus shows up, the crowds are listening to this argument and they abandon this argument and, and, go, and go rush towards Jesus and you've got the disciples themselves Arguing with the scribes, and also a key characteristic for them is they're not able to cast out uh, a demon. Um, what? Uh, imagine me and the Father. Okay? I've started a list. I want to continue the list. What different things would be difficult or discouraging about this situation? So let me offer you my three, uh, and then you continue to help me. So first, trials of a prolonged family illness. We know from the story this has been going on for a while. Okay? Now, um, I've been uh, not with my children, but with some members of the family, prolonged illnesses. I've seen that. I'm sure I would imagine that, that a lot of us have seen that. It's discomforting. It's, it's difficult. Uh, it's, it's discouraging. This is something that's happened from childhood. You know, so we don't know how old the boy is, but we know he is at least... He's at least had it for a while, and he's, he's passed or deep into his childhood age where he's had it. Um, so this has been here for a while. And kind of along with that, when a child suffers, a parent suffers. It's kind of stating the obvious there. Um, we imagine this father has, I can imagine this father's tried to get relief in different ways. I know if I was a father, I would have. Um, I can't even help my own child. God, why are you not helping me? I can see myself uh, playing that role uh, up to this point. Potential personal guilt and, and shame in the community. Um, 
It's possible. You've got a, a father who can't resolve the sickness of his son. Demon possession, we know from uh, two or three weeks ago, the demon possession had a bit of a, a stigma uh, in, in, in society. Um, and then when someone's sick, I'm not saying it's the case all the time, but it's when someone's sick in this culture or someone's got a, a, a visible ailment that lingers over and over and over again, what is sometimes the conclusion of the community? What's it coupled to? It's coupled to sin, right? John chapter 9, there's a story of a blind man, and, he t- and uh, Jesus is asked a question about the blind man and his parents. What's that question? What's that question? Who is sin? Right? Assuming someone is to blame for this. Okay? Now, whatever the case, there, we at least know there's a sense of that that can be going on in the community. So the father could feel that. Uh, what else about this situation could be difficult uh, for the father? Uh, financial burden. I know okay. somebody today goes through a prolonged illness that can be a huge financial burden. I'm not sure how that would have come into effect in those days, but I'm sure it would be similar in some way. Sure, sure. You, if you've got a, a prolonged family illness, there's nothing about our society that's any different from that. Long-term care, at least a distraction from what he would have been able to do to provide for the family, uh, certainly. It kind of builds off of Kind of magnifies the points we, we've said before. Good. Anybody else? What else about this situation is, is troubling? What about what's going on around them? The crowds are coming. What's going on specifically when it comes to him? He's tried to seek help here, and what's happened? He didn't get it. He, didn't get it. he, he went to the disciples. Can the disciples cast out demons? We know they have before. So in Mark chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, I'll just quote it uh, briefly. Mark chapter 6, verse 12, and they went out and preached to the people to repent, and they were casting out many demons, and were anointing people with oil, many people who were sick and healing them. And we also know that these same uh, disciples were involved in a previous chapter, helping to distribute uh, to the, the thousands of people that Jesus had fed. So they are linked to the miracle-working man. And... He's not here, but we know they can cast out demons before, and I'm going to bring my son to them because he has a demon, and they can't do anything. They can't do anything. That has got to be discouraging uh, and difficult. Okay? What else? What else? Yeah, you're, you're hopeless. You're hopeless. And let me build off of what Danielle's saying. So you've got a hopeless situation you're encountering currently. And then what's going on around you? There's a crowd and there's people arguing. And you've been in a crowd before, right? And it's just, you can just hear this just kind of constant chatter. And then there's a piece of the crowd that's arguing, so it's a little bit amplified. It's, it's noise. Noise doesn't ever help us when we're in a stressful situation. Um, and, and, and all this noise is, is not helping me. I got a sick son, and it's just a shh. That's all I hear. That's all I hear. It's just noise. Um, it's legitimate noise. Uh, there's people arguing. It's just frustration, and I'm just, I can't, I can't. And then I come to the point where I say to Jesus, if, if, you, can, if you can do anything, um, verse 22, um, please help me out. I, I believe, verse 24, help, help, 
help my unbelief. So there's the, there's the scene. Jesus, we're going to talk a little bit more about what Jesus does at the end. Uh, but, but there's the scene. Jesus comes and approaches this man or, or this demon and he, and he, and he heals and, and he takes the, the demon away from the boy and then, and then um, uh, encourages the disciples or, or teaches the disciples towards the end somewhat privately about their failures uh, as well. Any comments on the story itself? Um, Nate, just give just a second, man, uh, before, we, before we go on to the, to the next part. I'd just like to touch base a little bit on you know, the aspect of this man's comments, if. You, you know, I, I, I get the sense of, you know, at least if that were me in this situation too, you know, there, there's maybe that, I don't know if there's a possibility, maybe he's never really seen Jesus in action in person before, mm-hmm. and, but, but he's heard of him or he's mm-hmm. heard of the disciples, and then when he brings the son to the disciples, the disciples can't do it, then that level of whatever faith he might have had from hearsay, so to speak, Sure. went down so then Jesus coming I could see the sense of him maybe saying well if you can do this because he's already been knocked down a notch we just talked about right and then you know the aspect of their faith when Jesus goes on and talks about oh you know you have little faith what if, I believe he's including the apostles in that as well sure. not just the people and not just sure. this man because we see Jesus say that same thing to his disciples before when they couldn't do something mm-hmm. so yeah. it's just a combination of all that just as Interesting to me. Yeah, you're right, Nate. I mean, take a look at verse verse 17. There, there's there's some sense. This is a conscious action. Teacher, I brought you my son. So, kind of like Nate saying it. I know. I think I know. I, I've got some belief that you can do something. Right, I've I've brought you my son. I don't just happen to be here. Um, and I think you can do something about it. Um, help my help my unbelief. Um, in, in in that uh, in that regard. Good good comment. Any others before we uh, kind of bring it a little more uh, personal? So what I've tried to lay out at least now is there's difficulty and, and uh, discouragement and, and a situation that could lead this man to have doubt. Legitimate noise around him. Um, the, the inability to get relief from where he thought he could get it from the disciples. Um, a, you know, a delay in help from Jesus uh, or Jesus's, uh, Jesus's disciples means, you know, I could have, there's no power there or there's no pity for me there. Uh, there there's noise in this crowd. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, oh, that's on the wrong page. Um, let's talk a little bit about us wrestling with doubt. Um, how do people we know face similar challenges to faith today. So we've got a, a, a situation where this man is in, and he has a challenge or has a, has a, has a question in his mind about, about his faith and, and what Jesus can do. How do people you know, how do people that, that, that we know face similar, similar challenges today? Let me offer you a couple of examples to kind of get you thinking what I'm, what I'm thinking about. First, that they don't see the evidence that they expect to see. Um, I, I, I don't have a belief in God, if you take it all the way back to maybe that foundation. I don't believe in, in God because I don't see the, the evidence there. Or I don't believe that uh, whatever the case, because I don't see the evidence that I'm expecting to see. They've seen something tragic happen. Right? 
Um, why is God whatever um, can lead to a situation where it is challenging to have faith um, today? What are some other reasons that uh, someone can be in this situation? They've got a challenge. We may approach somebody who, who needs to be talked to because of their, because of their doubts. Yes, sir. So just like with everything going on with COVID, just like with everything going on with COVID, I mean, I know there might be some people who are doubting that this pandemic will never be over. Sure. But at the same time, we still got to remember that God sits on the throne. So sure. that could be a point of doubt. Sure. I think, think you're exactly right. Take, take the situation we're in now. It's, it's, it's noise. It's like, is this going to be over and this and that and the election and China and Russia and just oh, all of this stuff. Just How am I supposed to believe anything right now? Where is God in all of this? Um, yeah, it's, it's noise. It's, it's legitimate noise. I'm not saying it's not worth paying attention to, but it's just, it's just nipping it, nipping, nipping, nipping. Um, and it causes uh, it can cause challenges and it can cause doubts. Multitude of voices, you know. Think about religiously. Multitude of voices telling us to believe all sorts of things, um, and, and and debating amongst themselves and arguing amongst themselves. And you see people who are yelling at each other and people yelling at each other. And you can see yourself as the as the demon as the, the demon possessed child's son. And be like, I see them yelling, but but I'm I'm hurting right here. This this is my problem. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I guess sort of in response to your last question there, in what ways can disciples be causes of doubt? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's various different ways. One is, you know, the way we live our, our life, the, how we project Christ, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But e even for those who may, you know, really try to, to live in a godly manner, I think there are times when we fail to acknowledge in a public forum what God has done for us or a answered prayers. You know, for instance, there's been episodes in, in, in my life and, and especially in our, in our um, married life to where situations have arised to where we were felt in stress. We was in situations we don't know how we're going to do it and things, things like that. And then an answer comes just that by no other means could have been explained other than God's hand was in it. Mm -hmm. And I have multiple episodes in my life like that that when the opportunity comes and I'm just talking with somebody and, you know, I, I shared one of those with, with uh, the men on Thursday night when we studied, you know, when, when Coda was diagnosed with cancer, you know, 10 plus years ago. You know, how just a, a period of time when when you're told that as a parent, hey, your child has cancer, and in all rights, that punch in the stomach just drop, you know, oh, why, what are we going to do, mm -hmm. isn't there, and all you feel is a sense of peace, and there's no other answer for that to me that yeah. other than God's hand being placed on somebody. Just other examples that, yeah. that we as Christians, we see and we, we praise God for, but do we share that with others? You know, not to right. use this word in the sense that maybe a lot of others may use it, but we don't testify in a sense on God's behalf of telling others what he's done for us to help at least provoke that curiosity in their, 
in them. Yeah. So, hope you memorize 186. We're, we're going to touch it like two or three times here in a minute. So let's. I'm going to. I'm not going to respond yet. I'm going to kind of respond over the next uh, 20 minutes. So great, great point though. So Mitch, Mitch sent me something. I'll give Mitch credit here. So changes are made. Uh, so back to the question about um, how we face similar challenges today. Changes are made, but the results are slow to come, or, or slower than we would expect. I think Mitch is, Mitch is spot on. We've got conditions that may have solutions, but we need them, we need them right now. What we're used to or we're conditioned to having a problem and having it solved right now. I have a problem of lack of knowledge. Hey, I can solve that problem quick. You know, I can solve that problem real quick. I don't have to never, uh-oh, I'm about to use a, I'll just go with it. I'm gonna, I don't have to ever not know something. You know, I can just know it. And now I got a problem like cancer. I got to be able to fix that because I got a phone that can fix a lot of things. Why can't this get fixed now? Changes are made, like Mitch is saying, but they're, but they're slow to come and slow compared to what we would, uh, we would expect. You got Danielle and then you got Lindsay. Uh, just to kind back. of piggyback off what Nate was saying, I think, too, doubt can creep in when we don't have the faith and the prayers aren't answered the way we want. Sometimes we think this mm -hmm. is the way I want it to go and this is the way it should go, but that's not God's plan. And mm -hmm. we start to have doubt because we don't have the faith we should that he's leading us in the direction we need to go. We want to go our own, and that's where doubt can creep in if we're not careful. Sure. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you've got uh, the demon, the, the father of this son. I've got a, there's a way this should go. I'm going to bring my son to these men and they're going to heal him. That didn't happen. Now I got a problem. Now I got a problem. Yes, ma'am. You know, about the ways that disciples could be causes of doubt. You know, when people go through really hard things, and you know, and sometimes we're scared to go to those places with them. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have experience. It's it's just it scares us, and we don't know how to do it. And people back away, and they kind of don't want to deal with it. And then I think that can cause doubt because we're supposed to be examples of Christ. We're supposed to be like, and so if the mm -hmm. people are afraid of it, we feel alone, and we think maybe, can kind of make you feel like you're alone, that you, you know, you don't feel God's connection either, because we are God's hands down here. And mm -hmm. so, if that makes sense. So when we're afraid to go into those places, it's a reflection of God, even when that's, we're supposed to be. So we're not always that reflection, and we have to remember that anyways, but, you know, Jesus came into our pain. He entered into our pain. Mm -hmm when he came here, and God is the opposite of walking away. He steps into it. So when we do the opposite with someone who's struggling, that can, that can incur some of doubt when we're not the examples of Christ in those hard moments. It's really well said. Really well said. Yeah, it's linger on that question down there at the bottom. You, we, uh, I've, I've got to be strong because I'm a Christian. I, I, I don't have any problems because I'm forgiven some of my sins. So I, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I, I'm fine. I don't have no struggles. You know, think about that. Uh, Carrie's lesson last week on uh, dealing with sadness and people who are sad. Oh, I, I don't like dealing with sadness. Uh, hey, why, why can't you just believe in the resurrection of the dead? Whoever you, whoever you've lost, will have a resurrection. Cheer up, man. Come on, that's not empathy. Uh, but we don't like that situation where somebody's sad or somebody's in, in doubt and it's a struggle. Uh, to, to get down in down in there, especially if we don't if we don't share that doubt. Yes, sir. Sometimes, as Christians, when we go through doubt, 
one of the things my father always says is you got to get out of your comfort zone when mm -hmm. you're doubting. And we like to stay, well, when we're doubting and we're going through a certain situation, well, like, like they were saying, well, what if I do this and this doesn't work out? Well, what if I do this? That's where the leap of faith comes in. Like, because we got to understand that regardless of what we're going through, we have to take that leap of faith to get out of doubt. Just look at Job and all the stuff he went through. I'm pretty sure at one point, even though the Bible doesn't say, at one point he doubted, but still he got out of his comfort zone and stayed strong, too, strong and believed in Christ to keep, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Sure. Sure. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that in just uh, in just a couple of minutes. But yeah, you, you, you're spot on. You've got to at some point address it. You've got to some point uh, address it. Um, take take the other to, to me a couple of other ways that we Christians uh, can can cause doubt. Our inconsistent lives. Um, I mean, I remember very vividly. And I'll probably remember the rest of my life a a conversation I had with somebody who wasn't a Christian. When we lived in Texas, and one of the reasons he struggled or, or doubted that Christianity could, could be true is because of known hypocrisy in the church. That was one of his problems. It was one of the reasons that he doubted. Um, and I will never forget that, uh, that, that conversation. And that's, that's on us. Uh, we, we so doubt, and maybe in the way that we hypocritically live our lives, or in the way that we treat ourselves, treat our, our own selves, Right? I thought y'all were all about love and unity, or why don't you spend more time together? Like, what, what, why is there not a, a community or a family being built uh, in, in, a, in a congregation or in a family or, or in a church? Um, people who don't see those kinds of things, it can so doubt uh, in their mind about what Jesus is trying to, uh, to, to bring to the world. What are we, to use Nate's word about testify, what are we testifying in our own lives um, to, to, to them to, to, to see. Um, not that they should be attracted to us, but being attracted to the person that we, that we believe in. Okay, let's, um, let's continue on here. Um, appreciate everybody's comments so far. This is, this is great. Y'all keep, keep David moving. That's good. How did Jesus talk to the doubting? So I've got four things that I, that I take out of this passage, and then I want to I talk a little bit about Mark 9 and then end in in Psalm 73. Let's talk first about, and I'm not saying this is the order in which things need to happen. These are just the principles that I see Jesus um, talk through when he addresses this man. Verse 19, um, he answered and said to them, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Uh, he calls out the hard truth of their unbelief. I'm not saying it's the first sentence you say. I'm not saying it's the first thing we talk about. But at some point when talking to a doubting person, hard things are going to have to be said. Um, the disciples, you know, he, he's got a situation here, especially with these disciples, about maybe calling them unbelieving people. He didn't start with that on the boat when they're, when they're fishing. You know, he's, he's been with these guys for a while. And he recognizes the struggles that they've had, and he's taught them. And at some point he looks them in the face and says, hey, listen up. You can't stay where you're at, you unbelieving generation. Okay? Now, let me be clear. Don't lead with that. <laughs> when someone has a doubt, at some point, uh, we have to recognize, 
And we have to make sure they're aware you can't stay there. You can't stay there. Um, and we're going to talk about a little bit about why, why you can't stay there uh, here in a second. And then when we talk about um, what we find in Psalm uh, 73. The second thing, focus on the, on the specific challenge in front of him. So there was a lot going on in this situation. The scribes and the disciples are arguing. There's a crowd that can be addressed with a, with a sermon. But there is a specific problem, a specific doubt that this man had. He may have had other, other struggles with his faith, but I know what's the problem right now. I've got a son. I thought the disciples could, could, take, could take care of him, and they didn't. Focus on the specific challenge that's driving the unbelief. People with doubts are very likely dealing with something specific. It's not vague. Uh, it's not this general thing. They have a specific problem, a specific doubt. Uh, if we talk about everything that we believe and, and all the things of the world and how we should approach every role in our life, we're not dealing with their specifics and we won't be heard. When, when talking to people, um, we need to deal with them in their specifics. Um, because Jesus will be heard at that point, and, they, and then Jesus will help to make, make a difference. There, there's multiple ways to, to address that. Um, Jesus, in kind of building off of that verse 21, he makes the Father talk about it. How long has this been happening to him? And the, and the Father kind of re, replays the story. Ask, ask difficult questions. You think that was an easy question to answer? This isn't academic to the Father. Jesus isn't asking for, Jesus doesn't get a, oh, he's only had it for six months. He's had it for eight months. This isn't a hospital room where you're trying to diagnose a problem. This is an answer of a man who's struggling. And the man has to talk it out. The person with the doubt, the person with the struggle, make him say it out loud. What's your problem? And how long have you had it? When you say the Bible is too restrictive or, 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 or regressive, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, when you say you don't think that, uh, that the homosexuality is, is a sin, why, why do you believe that? What, what made you come to that conclusion? Open-ended question. Make them talk. It's not our responsibility to talk. It's our responsibility to have a conversation where we both talk. Does that make sense? <clears throat> it's not my responsibility to have them make a claim and then me stand and try to disprove or prove that claim where I'm the only one who has a worldview. You know? Their worldview has a, their, their claim, their, their sentence has a worldview as well. Um, make them talk. I'll open it up for uh, comments after, after this one. Um, Verse 25, talking to doubting people has to be uh, personal. Jesus sees a crowd coming and recognizes that this could be a, a problem. The crowd is rapidly gathering, so he rebukes, he rebukes the spirit. Address it, like we said before, address it personally. Um, you imagine what it would have been like to, to, to put this man to shame 
in front of a crowd. Now wait for the crowd to gather. Like, okay, man, I'm going to tell you the five things you got wrong with the reason you have a belief. Are you likely to convert that person? Um, <laughs> unlikely. Address that man personally. Address him, address him directly. And the last thing I'd say, more to the disciples, is the disciples are, uh, are without the complete belief in what they have to do. Jesus addresses that in verse 29. You could not have performed this action without prayer. And he addresses, I think he addresses them at least in part when he talks about them as being unbelieving in verse 19. But did Jesus get rid of the disciples at this point? They couldn't help him. They couldn't accomplish what they wanted, he wanted them to accomplish. And their address is unbelieving generations. But do they stay with him? They stay with him. Talking to people or addressing people or interacting with people with doubts does not come with an ultimatum opportunity. You don't just say, I've had enough, I'm out. I'm out. Again, recognize what Jesus has done, not only in this situation with his disciples, but over and over and over again, their confusion or their doubt or their unbelief, as he characterizes it, or not going to God in prayer and not recognizing that they had to do that. Jesus had every opportunity just to walk away and say, I, I, I can't, I can't anymore. But they stay with him. Uh, he calls them unbelievers and they stay with him as followers all the way. Um, all the way to the point where they themselves abandon him uh, at the end. So, speaking the, the truth, speaking the, the hard truth, um, the specific challenge up front Talking to them and making them talk and then addressing it uh, again uh, with, with, with faith uh, and addressing that doubt uh, directly and personally. I'm going to develop these, uh, these comments a little bit more in Psalm 23. But any, any thoughts on that, um, what I've said thus far? Got one quick one. Um, we're sure. And I, I think a good portion of, of what we're discussing here is, you know, is we need to understand, especially in the scenario like what you're talking about, and in all scenarios of, of discipleship, so to speak, um, that we don't have to be the harvesters, that we are simply to be cultivators. You know, we're seed planters, we're waterers. And just like when you're tending to a garden or a crop, you don't just plant the seed and forget about it. And wait until the harvest time. You, it takes time to work that that seed to its full, full maturity. Sure. And when we're dealing with people with doubt, it's going to take time. There's going to be instances where you water a little bit, then you back off and see what happens, and then you just and you go back and you till the ground, you pull out the weeds, and, and things of that nature. And going back to you know just simply asking questions. You know that that's something that I feel at times we as a collective group may need a little bit more help or teaching or classes or study groups on, in a sense, to educate ourselves on how to approach people like that by using mm -hmm. such tactics, so to speak, as asking questions, like Greg Copel's book, Tactics, mm -hmm. refers to the Columbo, Columbo approach. Mm -hmm. You know, getting to the root of the matter is sure. you Sure. Sometimes I think we don't necessarily, that doesn't come naturally to us, so we may need to have those extracurriculars to sort of help train us to, to follow that. Yeah, well said. You got a comment, I think, in the back. Yeah, and while you're going there, you're, you're exactly right. This takes this can take time. You don't, you don't get tomatoes from tomato seeds. 
You don't. Yeah, from seeds, dirt, and patience, and weeds, weeds and sun and dirt and patience and, and water, and it, it takes time. It takes time to, to develop. Uh, exactly right. Yes, ma'am. I used to kind of struggle with um, these kind of stories where Jesus would answer these prayers, and 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 you you have an event in your life and you pray about it, but you don't get the answer that you want. And something that helps me is thinking about like the Apostle Paul. He prayed for whatever ailment he had to go away. Mm -hmm. And the answer he got was no. And sometimes God just answers no. Mm -hmm. And we have to just still have faith through those times. Maybe God knows best. God knows a bigger picture that we don't understand. Yep. So so let's let's hold that thought and go to Psalm 73. <laughs> Psalm 73. Um, I'll wrap up a little bit with, with, with this point. I want to kind of build off of what, what she just said. Um, and talk about the Bible's view of doubt as a whole. Because this is going to happen. It's reality. Um, there's a man who used to be a preacher. He turned atheist. He wrote this in a book. In their most inner thoughts, even the most devout Christians know that there's something illegitimate about belief. Underneath their profession of faith is a sleeping giant of doubt. In my experience, the best way to conquer doubt is to yield to it. Um, pretty powerful uh, pretty powerful statement. Um, I, I, let's talk a little bit about doubt as we as we wrap up as a whole. I, I, I would believe I would be of the contention that the Bible has a very balanced view of doubt. Um, Jesus, uh, the disciples, um, the Bible writers don't say just just ignore doubt and believe harder. Uh, nor do they say you need to walk around being a skeptic, a skeptic all the time. You know, Jesus never told you know Thomas, the, the most famous doubter, I guess. He didn't tell him to stop doubting. Um, he had a conversation and, 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 and talked about the evidence uh, and showed him the evidence, um, etc. Uh, when we talk to people, we have to have a reflection of the balance that, that the Bible has. We can't just tell people, ignore it and believe harder. Yeah, you had a problem in your life, but you need to believe harder. Um, and, we can't be, and we can't just challenge doubts to, to infinity because there's something that has to be, something has to be addressed there. This, this man in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph has a, has a doubt or is in temptation or has a struggle uh, with his own faith. He has a problem that he sees, and it's in verse 2 and 3. Uh, the, verse 3 is kind of the summary. What's his, what's his concern? What's his problem? Right. I know God is good. I know that God's people should be taken care of. But there are wicked people who are fat. As he says in verse 4. Uh, as an expression, the wicked people are well off. They are doing well. So how? This doesn't make any sense um, to me. Which gets me to my, my definition of doubt down there below. Our state of mind when personal experience makes what we know in our minds unreal in our hearts. I know this is true. But it doesn't look like it's true. Um, I know that God takes care of his people because God is a good God. But there are people who are rebellious against God who are being taken care of better off right now. And I can see it. So what I know is true is unreal in my heart. It's my definition of, uh, definition of doubt. So what do I do with that? Um, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, let, me go, let me go real quickly. 
This man has that problem. Mark chapter 9, the man knew that Jesus and his followers could help him. He knew it. That's why he brought them his son. Uh, his son is hurting, but now what I know is true is not real in my heart because I'm not getting helped. His experience isn't matching his logical conclusion. Okay? Therefore, he has, he has doubt. A more, maybe a more modern example, a more real-life example to us. We know in our minds, I would, I would contend as Christians, that suffering is in the world and that God may have a purpose for that suffering. We know that. We've heard it taught from here. We've heard it taught from, from sermons in the past that God may have a purpose for suffering. We, we, we get that. And then suffering happens to us. And we don't know why. Or it happens to our kids. And we don't know why. The logical conclusion that I have in my heart and that I've heard and I've studied about doesn't feel right now. That's doubt. And that's where the, psalm, the psalmist uh, finds himself here. So what does he do with it? I got a couple of things uh, real quick because I want to try to leave a little time to, to let this group uh, talk as well. Verse 15 and 16. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed this generation of your children. And when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. He had taken a position. Take up your position. And this is how we can talk to people. Kind of get to what Nate's. What Nate mentioned as well. How do we approach people? Take your doubt and, and, and doubt it. What is, your, what is the conclusion you're making based on the, the belief that you have? One of the things that was a trouble for this man is he realized if he kept his belief, then all of his brethren who were God's chosen people were following this God and, and had chosen to follow this God for nothing. That doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. What, what I had chosen to believe was now troubling me. Um, so take a look at your doubt and, and, and doubt the doubt is, is, is one item. Second thing, verse 17. Um, Until I came to the sanctuary of God and I perceived um, therein. Um, even in doubts, one of the things that we can encourage people to do and do ourselves, worship, pray. Sing, listen, and study God's word. Um, we don't just we don't just get into me. Uh, we don't just get into doubts by thinking and reasoning. You know, it comes from personal experience. Something has happened to me, physically, emotionally. So you're not going to get out of it by just thinking and having a logical train of thought. You got to experience something. Side note, is worship an experience to you? Man, it should be. It should be. Um, I hope this is not academic. What we're about to do for the next hour. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, the, the psalmist recognizes he has a problem, but even then, he has a contention and he goes to the sanctuary. He goes and he worships. There may be an opportunity here uh, and a way to invite people to worship and experience God in this place. First Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul talks about a scenario. There will be a scenario where there are a local church will have people who are amongst their members, excuse me, amongst their crowd who don't believe in God. It's going to happen. And talks about how to, how to approach worship accordingly so that folks who are in that condition know that God is in this place. 
okay? So one of the things that we do with our doubts is we, we doubt them. What, what, what is the situation that I'm really believing when I say that doubt? Don't give up on worship. That may be the time to experience God uh, more than any other. And then last, this is kind of related to the first one, but compare where you're placing your feet. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to, to destruction. So he's, he's got a, a problem that are keeping his feet from stumbling in verse 2, but he looks at the people who are foolish, who are wicked, and says, look, that, they, have a, they have a problem as well. It's not like they're just well off. At times, the Christian ground can feel uneasy. I've experienced that. The Christian ground can feel uneasy for, for a host of reasons. But if perhaps if we testify, kind of like Lindsay said and what Nate said earlier, but testify to our own experience um, and use that to help, as we talk to people, to consider the options. You know? Take Nate's scenario. How is, Nate, how, how is dealing with, with, with what Nate talked about with his son any, any better if there's no God? Does that solve it? Something to approach them about. Something to, to, to talk to them about of our own as we testify uh, to, to our own personal, our own personal experience. The father in Mark chapter 9 um, couldn't just reject Jesus without having a certain belief. If he rejects Jesus, what does he believe? That he's on his own. If we believe in God, you know, evil and suffering and the problems that may cause us to doubt, um, yeah, they are a problem if we believe in God. If we don't believe in God, it's a way bigger problem. I got nothing to base it. I got no basis for good, for evil, um, etc. So, questioning our doubts, uh, approaching God, and using worship as an experience to address it, and then comparing where we place our foot versus where those others who place our foot. Any comments as we close? But don't don't let the uh, kids in the back deter you. They're fine. Yeah, Dan. <coughs> Could you just clarify, I, I may have misunderstood the purpose of the quote from the, the gentleman Barker. What, what is the intent of the suggestion of yield to your doubts? What yeah, it's just, if you have something that you question about your, my, my, my belief in what he's trying to say is, if you doubt something that's in your faith, just surrender to it. That means your faith is awry, is amiss. That's what he did. In this, in this book, as a preacher turned atheist, he said, there's just nothing that can do with this. I have a question, so that's it. Um, I surrender to that doubt um, and, and, not, uh, not, and therefore not have the belief in, in Jesus anymore. And I'm giving you an alternative as to, as to a way to approach it. All right, last one. Here in the, uh, here in the back. <laughs> so the way I try to look at this... Uh, which is opposite of that fella, which I think is the, the best way to go, is to learn from what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the king. They said, you know what? We don't have to bow down to your idol. God's going to save us. But even if he chooses not to, it doesn't matter. We're not going to do it anyway. Because sure. they knew the difference between what was right and what was wrong. And that's where we have to get ourselves to where even if the world doesn't go the way we want it, even if 
the election doesn't go the way we want it, even if my health or whatever doesn't go the way I want it, I still have faith in God and his word because I've seen it, I've read about it, I've seen over 2,000 sure. years or so what people have done. I know what's right mm -hmm. anyway, and that's where I'm going to stay. Yeah, well said. Well said. Thanks for your comments. I appreciate it.